Welcome to The Picklist, the podcast for curious food industry minds. I'm Julia Glotz, a writer, editor, and consultant specializing in food and drink. Every week, I'm joined by an expert guest to discuss the news, trends, and developments shaping food and grocery retail right now. You'll get a personal perspective on how business leaders and leading thinkers from different parts of our industry are making sense of the big issues. My guests will also share what's on their personal reading list, bringing you a curated selection of thought-provoking articles from the trade press, national media, and other titles. You can find links to all the articles and suggestions for further reading in the episode show notes and also on thepicklist.co.uk. Now let's start the show. Hello and welcome to episode 70 of The Picklist. I hope you're having a good week. My guest this week is George Diamond, CEO of Planet Organic. George joined Planet Organic late last year and he has wasted no time getting stuck in and shaking things up. He talks to me about his ambitious plans for expansion and opening stores outside of London and how he's modernising Planet Organic's supply chain. Of course, we also talk about the cost of living crisis and the impact he is seeing so far on his stores and shoppers and how the organic sector specifically can weather the crisis. Plus, we chat about new research on the carbon impact of different diets and the importance of bringing fun back into food. Enjoy the show. George, welcome to The Pick List. Thank you for being my guest. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. We are recording this on Tuesday, the 28th of June, 2022. What are you up to this week? What's on your plate? Well, I've had um, a quite a busy week so far, and uh, we're still at the beginning of the week, I think. Um, my life seems to be disrupted by train strikes last week, and then people nicking cabling on train lines this week. So um, lots of travel disruption, um, which I'm facing, but I know I'm not alone, not alone in that. <laughs> Um, and then kind of the, the big things that we're, we're focusing on is um, how, we, how we're growing uh, everything at Planet Organic. And uh, I like to spend my time between going out about in stores and seeing how the team are and uh, listening to what our customers are up to um, through to we're building a new distribution center and finding new sites to expand Planet Organic. So um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great role to have that keeps us busy. And you became CEO of Planet Organic towards the end of last year, to sort of late 2021. So you've picked an interesting time to, to lead a business. Uh, and I have so many questions for you about those plans that you've already alluded to and what you're hearing from your colleagues and, and customers at the moment as well. But I thought it'd be useful to first talk a bit about your career so listeners can get some context on who you are, where you've been, what's influenced you. Because you've been at a number of different retailers before you joined Planet Organic. You were at Holland and Barrett, you were at Coles in Australia, you were at Tesco. Tell me about how you got into retail and what kinds of roles you've been attracted to throughout your career. Yeah, it's funny because I kind of look back and oh, it's quite a few years in retail now, but uh, I, I, I kind of look at my career, two main parts. Um, first of all, quite quite early on, I got myself into the car frame warehouse. I did a, a, a little bit of consulting uh, all around kind of joint buying of phones back in the day when they still had keyboards and um, it, <laughs> well before smartphones. It was, it was kind of, WAP was just taking oh, wow. uh, place. Te text was a big thing. So that kind of dates me a little bit. But um, but I got, got into that world, had a wonderful time uh, spending about 10 years at the Carphone Warehouse working with some great people, um, Andrew Harrison, Charles Dunstan, to, to, to name a few. 
and that was a, a, a really um, fun fun time where the company was kind of inventing itself every other day. Um, we were expanding at, at, at huge rates, and what I learned there is is kind of really listen to what customers want and what the what the demands are of a customer, and find a solution, even if that solution doesn't exist yet. Go make it happen, and and that kind of energy and drive and push and that kind of entrepreneurial piece ne- never has uh, never has left me. Um, I was lucky enough to go over to the states and open up uh, Best Buy Mobile um, in Manhattan, and then that rolled out across uh, across the states, uh, and then came back to the to the UK. Um, but after a time, I, I kind of felt, particularly after you know we launched we launched the iPhone. Um, we we uh, we had a we had a great time, but I kind of felt that I knew the world of mobile phones quite well, and really loved this piece called called retail, finding solutions for customers, um, and had a big itch, a big itch to um, kind of go go and explore what retail looked like, um, and I had a, an opportunity to go and join the team over at Coles, um, and again some great people uh, that I was privileged to work with. I mean Archie Norman led the charge there, but uh, I worked with Ian McLeod, John, uh, John Durkin and, and many others. Um, and I went over there and spent the best part of 10 years over in Australia, working in a number of different roles at, at Coles. Coles is a very uh, large um, supermarket over there. So got the, got the bug of grocery uh, and, and did a number of uh, different roles, including running trading side of things, running marketing, running um, property and a few other bits in, in between. Then I left there um, after you know a great great um, career, learned a huge amount, and um, uh, decided if you want to stick in retail. And having spent the past 20, 20 plus years in retail, I kind of thought right, where, where's uh, where are the opportunities? And really narrowed it down to discounting, uh, discounting retailers. You saw kind of the rise of those in Europe, in Asia, and then in the US. Uh, or, or health and wellness. And you saw a lot of capital going down and a lot of consumer interest in uh, all things health. Um, and on the back of that, I did a bit of a search in terms of where to go and found an opportunity to join Holland and Barrett, where I was for a couple of years. Uh, I ran all the international businesses there, so um, quite an eclectic mix of businesses uh, and also the trading side at, at Holland and Barrett in the UK. Um, and whilst there, I kind of found this amazing business called Planet Organic and fell in love with it. And then um, quite randomly got a knock on the door um, from um, Invalid, which is the private equity company behind uh, behind Planet, and uh, had great conversations, and, and we were in discussion for some time to get out of uh, to get out of Holland about and into Planet, and so I joined back in December, and I'm delighted to be here. I'm so interested in how strategically you thought about your next career opportunity. So you were quite specific in saying. Um, where's the next big wave of growth going to come from? And I can see it coming either from the discounters or from health and wellness. And and you wanted to place yourself within that sector. Yeah, because because um, I'd say say a few pieces that I absolutely love. I love kind of make, making a difference in in retail. And I'm not very good at just doing the status quo bit. So if you think of Coles, that was a huge turnaround business and lots of lots of opportunities to work, work around the business. Um, always with the consumer in mind and, and, and lots of opportunities to kind of um, find solutions for them. And Carfair and Warehouse, similar but different in terms of reinventing itself every other day. There was always something uh, different and new, new trends to spot. Um, and, and therefore, I love getting in, into something that I know there's going to be a, a bit of a roller coaster ride. Joined Harland and Barrett because that, that huge um, piece in terms of uh, health and consumers' interest in health was the big macro trend that everyone was talking about, but not everyone was doing. 
um, and and Holland and Barrett being a you know hundred plus year old old brand um, in in um, in that in that space made a huge amount of sense. I kind of left there for various reasons, but but this this business is is absolutely at that epicenter, not just on the health of individuals and families, but also the health of the planet. And um, Jeeps, that's that's pretty much centre of the storm at the moment, isn't, isn't it? So um, yeah, absolutely. And I know you have some. I'm I'm not I'm not really that calculated. It basically it sounds very well organized and very strategic and how you get, went about making that decision. But I know that um, since you've joined Planet Organic, you've very much talked about wanting to grow the business and you have some mm-hmm. very ambitious plans uh, for expansion. Before we get yeah. into those, I think it'd be useful to kind of reflect a little bit on the pandemic, because again, and you've been very open about this, Planet Organics had a pretty tough pandemic. Uh, some of your branches had to close for, for a pretty long period of time, sales dropped. Can you just talk a bit about how the business experienced the pandemic? What happened within the business? And then where are you now in terms of sales and how recovered you are? Yeah, so I, I mean, I would say that I, I spent most of the pandemic outside of outside of the business. But I think, you know, first and foremost, testament to the team here did an absolutely amazing job riding riding the storm. And, and uh, I think whichever part of retail you are, whether you kind of succeeded from it because the sales went up or you had to close stock, it was bloody tough. Um, and uh, so, so a very strong, resilient team, and, and my hats off to them. Um, I think they they did what uh, a number of retailers did, responded to where customers are shopping. So you know, the Planet's never really had a, a, a significant e-commerce business historically. They built an e-commerce bit, uh, business, built you know, shop picking and packing out of the, the store here at Westbourne Grove, um, and they saw tremendous growth there. They weren't alone, but they they were able to respond uh, respond to it, setting up and changing that supply chain on the fly. Um, so that that worked well. But then you know, it, it was very challenging, particularly in you know, we are only London based. And particularly the central London-based stores really had customers just fall away. I mean, ninety percent reduction in in uh, footfall, and of course during the absolute lockdowns, um, it was it was really tough. So we made the decision um, before I joined actually to to close one of our central London stores. That was Devonshire Square, which is surrounded by offices. A lovely location. I was walking through. I actually walked into the store uh, just last week. I mean. Tragic in many ways that we had to close it because it was a very special store. But it's where, where you don't have customers, you have to make those decisions. Um, and then more recently, we had two stores: one in Tottenham Court Road, which is probably our best-known store, um, but we also had another store just 400 yards away. And and it just we couldn't make those, those two stores work. So we made the tough decision there to close uh, Torrington Place, uh, but consolidated our sales into the Tottenham Court um, uh, store, and sales there have doubled. So. It's all it's all really just following the customer. Meanwhile, we've also uh, had stores in um, in towns and villages around London that have, have done very well through the pandemic. So, kind of people, you know, this, this working from home uh, um, piece that we're all all getting used to that's worked very well in some some of our stores. So we've got you know it's only a small store estate, but it's quite an eclectic mix within it. Um, and we have had to make the very tough decision in, in some areas. Um, but the good news is, through I, I do think people learn their businesses really well. Um, through through such significant change, we definitely did it at Holland and Barrett. We definitely did here, um, and it is all about how do you react to customer needs. So 
I've kind of come in here with a philosophy. I, I really don't mind how customers want to shop with us, whether that's on delivery, whether that's online, whether that's click and collect, whether that's in one of our amazing local stores. Um, uh, it's our job to make make sure that's a fulfilling and joyful experience, however they want to shop. And I don't think you really would get that unless you're kind of used to driving change, which the pandemic, ironically enough, has helped. Absolutely. And you just talked about the relatively small store estate. I know you want to make this rather bigger than it is at the moment. Um, you are looking, you, I think it's 13 stores at the moment, all of them in London. Sure. You yeah. want to have 50, five zero by 2025, 35 of those in London, the rest of them outside of London, but in the in the south of England. That's pretty gutsy, yeah. isn't it? And it's particularly gutsy coming out of a pandemic and going into a, a cost of living crisis. What are you seeing in terms of shopper demand and how and where people shop now and what they buy that makes you confident there's room in the market for 50 Planet Organics? I just think it's an amazing brand that's been doing kind of its own thing in a very genuine, authentic way for 25 years. Um, and, and actually, if you kind of think about Planet as a 25-year-old business, having only 13 branches is probably a small end of, of, of town. Um, and I, I joined and, and with the team here, kind of came up with a, with a plan. Um, it kind of right-sized the business. We, to, to, to be honest, a lot of what we've done, we've kind of all grown up organic by name, but organic by nature. Um, and we've we, we got some old retail practices that we just need to um, sharpen up. And in so doing, you need to get to a scale business to, to really make the, the economics of the business work. Um, and what I'm trying to do here is get a, get a business that is um, you know, sustainable and can be around for the next 25 years. And, and with that, it does need to be well-funded and it does need that scale. So the 50 number, quite, quite you know, funnily enough, I just I came up with that number and it's kind of stuck. So, uh, so great. Um, but what, what I can tell you is that it, we, we definitely need to be well over 20 for the, for the kind of business economics to make sense for our central warehouse, which we're, which we're, which we're opening up in a few months' time. Uh, to make sense so that's kind of that's our first port of call do I think then Planet can have 50 stores yeah absolutely 100 stores very much so 200 no idea but that's some that's some some time away um, and the great thing again is I'm kind of working with a, a relatively blank piece of paper so fantastic brand that's been around but you know it's only it's only 13 stores so we can make the decision where to go next and by bringing in this uh, new warehouse that gives us um, kind of the map and the drive time uh, for us to design where our, our store should go. We've, we've got a great team assembled here to, to kind of go on the hunt for uh, for stores. Um, and at the back end of last year, the team here opened one store a month for three months. So that's kind of made me go, right, well, that's our run rate then, one a month, 12 a year. You're, still at, you're soon at 50. So um, that's kind of the simplicity of, of what I'm trying to bring to, uh, to, to retail. And look, if we can find the sites and we can get the funding, then why wouldn't we go to 100? Back then to your other question, which is why do I think there's space for it? Well, I, I'm just looking at the kind of empirical evidence of customers voting with their feet and, and with their clicks right now. Um, and actually some of those new stores that we put down in Hackney and in, in, in Hampstead for the back end of last year are doing you know, really, really very well. Um, and I think customers are responding to, to a planet in their local community. Um, this business also, we bought a company called As Nature's Intended. There are four stores that we kept there. So places like, like Chiswick. Again, those stores are, are doing really well. And then two years ago, we opened a store in Queen's Park, relatively new format. Again, 
doing really well. So, so despite having some some you know, some some challenges through lockdown, and, and that's I'm not pretending otherwise. And despite having to make some tough decisions on store closures, what I see is a um, a fantastic brand with a store model that that customers are responding to really well. That then leads to actually we we can we can make this work. Um, and then I go back to well. You can make it work if you're scared, if you've got the scale and you've got the funding. So that's the kind of cycle that we're in, um, and I'm very confident, very confident that we can we can find. And I and I have said 35 in London, 15 out. I might be completely wrong in the mix, but I might be wrong. But we look at other brands um, in this in um, in this space, in the food space, in the, in the beauty space, um, and you can kind of point to them and kind of show in a similar demographic, in, in similar uh, towns and locations, they've made a huge success. Um, and I, I think I'm, I'm just trying to instill a confidence in in the team here, a confidence in in our shareholders to go, yeah, no, we can make this work and make it work really well. What sorts of sites and locations are you scouting for as you expand? What's the what's the sweet spot in terms of location for Planet Organic? Yes, yeah, so, so um, well, the, I mean, the locations that work are, are typically let's call them the, the villages of, of London. So you know, if I if I said we just opened up in Hampstead. Uh, why wouldn't we up, open up in in Wimbledon? As is quite you know, good good proxies if you, if you like. We're looking for a two and a half thousand square foot, so we're we're pretty set in terms of what that model likes, uh, what model looks like, and we're very set in terms of we're happy that we have got this wonderful eclectic mix of health and wellness in in one side of our store. This food to go offering with amazing juices and coffees and and uh, and, and cakes, and then of course uh, grocery. And both frozen, chilled, and and ambient, along with our fresh side of town. So, we we think we're getting very close to what that 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 store model looks like. Um, and 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 definitely, we're already looking out outside of London. So, because we're we're opening again this 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 warehouse out in Sunbury, West London, that does open up opportunities. Marlow, um, um, uh, um, Henley would be would be great. We're kind of looking out as far as kind of Winchester up, up through to Oxford, round to St Albans. So, so you know, we're, we're definitely just focused on where our, our customers are um, and what, what we can what we can do. We're, the, the good thing about talking about expansion is we're getting lots of requests from all over the country. I bet you to, do. To open up. <laughs> so um, that kind of tells you something else as well, doesn't it? And, and you've already talked about the fact that you think you've got the format pretty much right, but are you looking to try different formats as you expand? Um, you you yeah. mentioned a little bit earlier that there were perhaps some older retail practices that you were spotting when you first joined that you were keen to address. Talk to me a little bit about how you're looking to tweak the format potentially and what you're keen to try. Yes, yeah, so I think um, I think some of those newer stores that we put down the back end of last year, I said they're, they're trading very well. Um, we won't be compromised in terms of the, the unit, the box that we go into. So, um, you know, we, we like quite a traditional um, size, about two and a half thousand square foot, but with no kind of big columns and complicated uh, spaces. So we're, we're being very focused on on that. And again, we're, we're going to be trying to follow what the customer need is. So I can imagine in some locations, our food to go off will, will be bigger because it's much more of a um, you know, com- commuter area or um, people wanting to be able to, to, to grab and go. Lending more more to kind of larger towns and, and cities there. Uh, whereas other other areas, I can imagine our our um, health and wellness uh, side of the business will be bigger. And so accordingly, we can change our, our footprint. Um, but but it, it will be tweaks to that rather than a wholesale change. The other area that I, I don't think we've done 
well enough in some of our smaller stores is really celebrating and highlighting our fresh part, part of the business. So, you know, our produce, organic produce, is is a real uh, reason to come and shop at Planet, and we've got to be able to display that in in abundance in, um, and and really highlight why why shop why shop organic why shop why shop produce. Unless you're having a, a a big display right at the front of that, that's that's hard. So making sure we have the right space for the right categories in the right catchment, which, which all sounds amazingly basic retail, but, but that's the, uh, that's the challenge for us. And some of the older practice, most of the older practice I'm talking about is just, is just the supply chain side. So, you know, with 200, uh, 150 deliveries per store per week, all done on manual, manual ordering. I think the teams here over the years deserve medals for doing what they do. Um, and we're just bringing that into kind of um, modern day retail practice. Yeah. And so what exactly are you doing on the supply chain side? You mentioned the new distribution centre, which is obviously the, the, the central part of that. But how exactly are you looking to change the way the supply chain works? Yes. Yeah, so so if, I, if I describe the current current setup, it's, it's very manual. It is literally 150 deliveries per store per week, ranging from lorries to, I, I would say bicycles. I'm not sure we have had bicycles, <laughs> but you get the point. Um, and 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 the complexity that brings, and it's all done by by just the, the, the raw brain power of people on the shop floor, is is incredibly hard to sustain. And one piece I would criticise us: our, our availability is just is just not up to, to scratch. You know, we we've got gaps on our shelves every single week. You look at that every single Monday, as every other trading business around around the land does, and it's just not good enough. And part of that is because of that setup. We also buy through a lot of our product through wholesalers. Um, which is which is fine um, for when you when you're smaller, but to get to scale, I think having that direct relationship with suppliers is is, is a key one. Uh, we're definitely working out who our who our partners are um, and 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 acting accordingly. One of the big partnerships that we're forging is with a company called Howard Tenants, which is our third party logistics provider, and they bring expertise in the world of transport and and uh, warehouse management. So rather than us doing it and reinventing the wheel, we're, we're partnering out. We've also partnering with ITIM, who are our IT provider, um, and we've all, we've used those for years on our POS and, and uh, ordering systems. But actually, there are parts of their their setup that we haven't used. So, computer assisted ordering, um, for, for for example, linking into the warehouse management system, which would be how it tenants. That's being done, and, and with that means that we can kind of leapfrog into the into the modern age and the transport. In a very planet way, we're using hydrogenated oil over from the Netherlands. Actually, it gets imported, which is a slight interest from a carbon footprint. But but that then uses eighty five percent less, uh, well, um, emits eighty five percent less uh, carbon dioxide. So the vans that we will be using with Planet Organic proudly on the side are as planet friendly as we can get in current technology, and also because. The drive time from from the warehouse that's going to be significantly shorter than than would have done uh, been done historically. That that that's then a game changer as well. So we're trying to look at how do you keep it as simple as possible, um, how do you keep it as, as quick as possible for that freshness to come through, but how do you tread gently on the planet at, at the same time? Because it just isn't planet friendly to have all of those deliveries coming from all over the UK every single week, clogging up uh, roads, but also pumping out a lot of CO two. So how have your suppliers reacted to those plans? Are they generally supportive? Do they see an opportunity? Are they worried that it might become harder for smaller suppliers or brands to get into Planet Organic? I think um, and that's, a, that's a great question. Clearly, we're, we're um, acutely, acutely aware of, of driving change through our supply chain. Um, 
And I think that, that, that kind of traditional piece of drive, any change, people are kind of skeptical, people will embrace. But all, we, all, we, all we're trying to do here is simplify it, simplify it for our teams here, simplify it for our suppliers. Because if you think actually you're a small supplier, and I like to think that we're kind of the springboard of those smaller suppliers in the, in the health, food, health food or health and wellness space, I want to make it easier for those suppliers to deal with us. And at the moment, you want to set up, you have to deliver either to a, to a wholesaler who may not be that, that near or direct to each and every one of our stores. So in the new world, you can either go through a wholesaler still, that's fine, that consolidated label come into our, our warehouse or deal directly with our, with our, our warehouse. And it'll be a mix, a mix of the two. But either way, you only have to de- deliver to one location now. And that's, that's the game changer. Um, so instead of going to 13 different stores, which a lot of our suppliers do now, it's one warehouse. And with that, you kind of get nice economy. So if you're a little start, if you're a startup, a small supplier, you only have to think about one batch, one production run for that, that, that warehouse delivery. So you don't have to worry about splitting it. You don't have to pay, um, couriers uh, fees to go to each and every one of our locations so, so theoretically it's going to be a hell of a lot easier and i think we are blessed I, th- I think you know because of the good work that's been done by the team planet is seen as a, as a business that people want to deal with um we've we've launched many brands into the into the uk market and we'll continue to do so um and we're embarking on the journey of, of talking about um uh, talking about the changes here at planet so you know just the other week we grabbed um 25 or so of our suppliers, explain what, what we're doing, explain the changes, um, really to test the waters a little bit, make sure we got the plans plans right. But um, universally, very positive feedback, um, continued to have a lot of support from our suppliers, both big and small, um, and a lot of encouragement in terms of driving those changes. Um, and again, it's, it's, it's suppliers for, for goods, but also suppliers in terms of our partnership with our logistics provider fantastic and we're encouraging some of our smaller suppliers actually to deal directly with them because we've got spare capacity as we as we scale if you're a small supplier why wouldn't you go and talk to how tenants about taking space in in the warehouse that we'll be running out of so we're kind of looking at how do we drive more opportunities through doing this with our part with our with our um with our suppliers now, I think this is a good time for us to start talking about the articles you've picked. The first one you picked is from Just Food, and the headline is How Organic Food Can Navigate the Cost of Living Crisis. The article looks at how shopper behaviour is already changing and likely to change as household budgets become more squeezed. And the fundamental question it poses is, you know, is organic going to be seen as an unaffordable luxury? Will people trade down as they're forced to make cutbacks? And there are several brands and experts being quoted in this. It's not just about the UK. It takes a more global perspective as well. The consensus is, I think, from, from those comments, yes, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for absolutely everyone. But there are a few factors that could actually work in organics favour not being reliant on chemical fertilisers, for example, and the cost of, of those are obviously uh, is, is soaring at the moment. And also, most notably, some research cited in here suggesting that prices of conventional products are rising more quickly than organic products, in certainly in some areas. So that price gap could be shrinking in, in certain categories, which could make organic look relatively more affordable. George, why did you pick this article? What stood out to you? Well, actually, I deliberately chose um, both. 
uh, this and it will come onto the later article, but but it all talks to it's complicated. Um, whether whether this kind of cost of living, how does inflation hit? Is that because of transport costs? Is it because of production costs? Is it fertilizer costs, which you just talked about? And the answer is it's complicated. But I think what we are going to see is some will be ice um, insulated. Others, I, I do think we're going to be in for, for, for a challenge. If you kind of look at some of the input costs on uh, chicken feed, for example, organic chicken feed will, will go up. And, and as a result, I think that's going to be uh, a challenge. But so, so I think it's going to be noisy. I think it's going to be bumpy. In some areas, we are seeing inflation coming through, but in others, not. Uh, and I do think if I kind of talk to my peers out in, in the wider grocery world, they were seeing quite a lot of inflation de definitely at, the, at their bottom end of town. But what I then would say is that definitely through the pandemic, this, this piece about where does my food come from is becoming more and more and more important. And the health of me, my loved ones and the planet becomes more and more important. And these two areas are just now inextricably linked. And I think there is uh, enough evidence that we've got to say that customers are prepared to pay uh, for quality. Um, interestingly, meat and all our, all our meat here at, at Planet is organic. That's one of our fastest growing categories. And you kind of go, well, hang on, surely Planet Organic is more tailored for vegetarianism and veganism. And, and we have got great ranges and great advice uh, for, for those diets. But actually it is this, where does that, where does my meat come from? Um, and trust in Planet to make sure that we are providing the right quality, quality food. So I, I, of course there's this cost of living pressure and, and we're, we're, we're acutely aware of that. And we're trying to be more accessible in terms of some of the ranges that we offer. The great thing for us is kind of linking back to that supply chain bit. We've, we've got a productivity and efficiency piece, which will lower our cost, our cost of doing business. But then I do go all the way back around to what is it the customers are wanting? And it is show me where my food comes from. Show me that I can trust uh, that that is good quality, quality food. Uh, and this big piece about um, better quality, but, but, but um, maybe le less often is, is big. I think there's this change of diet that we're, we're seeing. So, you know, meat might be eaten um, um, less frequently, but high, high quality. And then that mix allows more of a plant-based diet, which um, isn't, isn't uh, clearly as expensive. So, so lots going on. It is complicated. Here at Planet, we're trying to do our best to, to help customers navigate through it. Um, but I think that's a kind of re reassuring piece in terms of we're doing the hard work for you to make sure we've got great quality definitely in the fresh base, organic product. I'm interested um, in what you're hearing from your colleagues in terms of shopper behavior in your stores. There's so much talk about how even more affluent consumer demographics are feeling the pinch, are becoming more concerned about household budgets, are you know, becoming a little bit more deal conscious. What are you seeing from your shoppers and are you having to invest a little bit more in things like promotions and, and price cuts? The, um, uh, so, so I think the wonderful thing is, I know, I know it's the consumer crisis is it's tough and the cost of living is tough, but actually there's lots of choice out there. So, um, and, and customers will always vote with their, with their feet, but that's online, but that's, uh, with that's installed. So definitely we're seeing, you know, customers choosing what they put in their basket. And, and you can see a little bit of a uh, num number of products being put, put in basket. And I'm hearing that more elsewhere than with us, to be honest. Um, and, and the other piece is I do think you get this um, flight to, to value and flight to quality. Um, 
And maybe, just maybe, people are choosing not to eat out quite as much. We're hearing that coming through. And if so, well, maybe they're cooking at home. And if they're cooking at home, what, are they, what is it they're cooking? And again, this quality versus uh, value piece come, come through. So without a doubt, I, I would you know, be, be convinced that, that you're going to see a lot of those discounters. And I did start this conversation with discounters, not a bad place to be. Um, I, I, I think they, that quite rightly, customers are going to be going, going to them. We are in the space of offering great quality uh, food, uh, fresh food, which is all organically grown, is important to our customers. And I think people have choices. I think, you know, where, where does that overall household, household spend go? A lot of it is going to go on health. Um, and, and we think we can offer good solutions for, for those for those customers. But this but it's all it's all it's all um changing very rapidly. I, I would expect that in the big supermarkets, the overall basket size will reduce. Perhaps we will be a net benefiter of that because customers will choose to shop with us. Smaller basket, fine, but that's where they're gonna gonna choose to to come for that health health and wellness need. And you said you picked this article because you like it, or at least you might not necessarily like it when things are complicated, but you were drawn to pieces that make the point that sometimes the world oh. is complicated and doesn't have quite uh, such straightforward answers. And I think that gets continued in your second article as well. Um, this yeah. is a piece from Supply Chain Brain, and the headline is Clean Eating Gets Complicated by New Climate Research. This is reporting on a study published in the journal Nature Food, which looks at how emissions from transport and logistics and the wider supply chain affect the carbon impact of various diets, most notably meat-based versus plant-based diets. Um, and the message here essentially is that, look, you know, once you start taking into account things like transport and logistics, it's not quite as straightforward as saying plants are always good and meat is always bad. Because yes, you have meat being responsible for significant agricultural emissions, um, but our desire for year-round fresh fruit and veg and the need to keep produce refrigerated during transport, that also comes with a significant carbon cost. Um, I was really intrigued to see you pick this, and I know supply chain and logistics are on your mind at the moment, and now I know that you also like when things get complicated. Um, what was it about this article that drew you to it? Well, again, I, I think there's it's, it's the complexity there is there's no obvious answer. In, in, in this one, in terms of the uh, transportation of CO2 that comes along with that, I think that is really interesting. And this whole air miles that go with food is, um, I think the debate has been raging for a long time. I'm not sitting here pretending I've got the answer. It's funny because I worked in Australia for, for a, de a decade, as I said, and, and actually the vast, vast, vast majority of produce and um, and uh, and um, and meat that would be homegrown. Now, Australia is a big place, but at least they're kind of managing the seasons all, uh, all, all there. Whereas here, we do have the luxury of having all year round supply chains, um, but that does involve um, a, a lot of food miles. So I always look at avocados. We, you know, we've, got, we've got organic avocados, which is great, but they've got air miles attached with them. So I'm not, again, not, not being preachy in terms of what you should and shouldn't do. Our, our job, I think, is to make uh, choices available and to educate and, and to talk about uh, to talk about that. And more and more here at Planet, we just want to have uh, a, a voice in, in that conversation. What we do try and do is celebrate um, local. What we do try and do is celebrate seasons, because I think there is a there's a great opportunity here for us to kind of give you know, 
um, asparagus season only just just come out. We had um, great recipe cards to go with. How do you make the most of asparagus season? Um, berries are going through the roof right now. Amazing organic strawberries, um, uh, in in particular. I think maybe time with the Wimbledon starting, but but um, but how do we celebrate that more? How do we how do we talk about the farmers more? Uh, a lot of our produce, for example, it comes from um, kind of East Anglia, not Norfolk, uh, growing growing region. Um, and I want to talk talk to consumers much more about where that food comes from because that's quite a, an efficient supply chain. That's you know not not particularly uh, carbon intensive in terms of where that produce need, needs to move move uh, from and to. Um, and the shorter we can make that, clearly the better. But it, it's not up to us to be preachy, as I said, and say you can no longer have avocado smash on on, on toast. We need to make that available if people want. I just want to make sure we are mindful and choiceful in, in terms of what that looks like. So I guess that's a long-winded way of saying let's celebrate food more in, here in the UK, here, here in the planet. That's a long-winded way of saying we do think there are great growing regions in the UK that we should be making <laughs> more of. But where you can't, you can't. And let's not pretend otherwise. Um, but let's just be choiceful in terms of what that range looks like. On that point around facilitating consumer choice, I guess it's also about helping consumers understand the environmental impact of different choices. And as you'll know, there's a very live debate around things like carbon labeling, eco labels, there's a trial underway with the IGD, RAP and DEFRA with with some of the larger supermarkets. Are you looking at eco labeling, carbon labeling in, in some form? Is that something that you can see Planet Organic embrace at some point? I, I, I must admit, I'm just a bit nervous that you know, the, the danger is we're going to go into a world that a product has more labelling on it than talking about what the product <laughs> product is. Um, because you've got the FNSS piece, which I, which I completely agree with, by the way. You've got, um, uh, you've got the ingredients list, clearly. You've got health stars. I lived in that environment with uh, over in Australia. And, okay, you can have that as well, as well, as well. But I do think we should... Um, I think our, our job, our responsibility is really just to talk and educate about the wider piece rather than every single label have to, having to have that um, carbon footprint on it. I, I think that will overcomplicate, uh, unintentionally overcomplicate the whole supply chain thing for us. Now, the final article that we're going to talk about is one I picked, and it's from the FT. And the headline is, The Snacks Putting the Fun Back Into Food. This is basically a really nice roundup of some challenger brands in snacking, um, brands that are trying to position themselves around health in all sorts of categories. And they have been picked because of their fun, lighthearted take on branding, packaging, and also health messaging. Um, They include brands such as Foops, a coffee brand called Hardline, and a healthy cereal brand called Grandma Crunch. They're really fun and interesting products in their own right. Certainly the sorts of things that you could potentially see in a Planet Organic as well. But the reason I wanted to talk to you about this is because the article talks about the evolution of healthy eating and healthy snacking in particular. And how consumers are looking for brands that are perhaps a little bit less preachy about their health credentials and particularly at a time when you know there's lots of um, negative news out there. People are under pressure that actually there's a role in food and in retail for lightheartedness and fun and just having a good time. 
and yeah, not kind of shoving health credentials down people's throats. Uh, there's a vegan donut brand in there called Glownuts, for example, with a strap line that is healthy, but who cares? So I was really keen to get your take on this. Are you seeing this trend among your shoppers as well? Are people moving away from that sort of very serious health messaging? Do they want more lightheartedness? It's a, a wonderful article, and um, th thanks for putting it up. It's much more lighthearted than the ones, <laughs> ones I chose. And it, but I think you know, food is food is fun. Food should be fun, and uh, and I think there are a number of pieces going on here. I, I think this whole health food sector has grown up from um, uh, quite a quite a straight laced world, quite a world where you're kind of describing what the food is, um, much more almost kind of mechanical in it in it in its in its way rather than being fun brands but the explosion of brands coming in now we're um and people just same product but just changing the packaging people with the same product but changing the tone of voice to take people with the same product but actually enjoying enjoying it more is is wonderful and here at planet i think it's similar for us i think where we have come from maybe just maybe we have been a bit too preachy uh, maybe just maybe it's felt like there's a judgment judgment going on to you when you kind of kind, kind of shock and that's another piece that i'm trying to call the change on i want us to be inclusive i want us to be accessible and the word we keep on using is joyful i think actually we can make the whole shopping experience joyful and with playful brands we can actually interact with them and and, and bring it to life we love sampling food in our in our stores we love bringing those smaller brands um to, to life for customers in our stores um, and I do think as a big piece, let's not take ourselves too seriously. We do we do a serious job in terms of providing uh, healthy uh, healthy meal solutions to, for, for people. But let's let's have some fun along the way. And I, I love I love seeing um, brands, particularly those smaller brands, um, having fun with what with what they're doing. Um, and long may it continue. And I think our job here at Planet is to be that springboard uh, for brands, particularly those fun ones. We love it. Fantastic. George, we're pretty much out of time. Before I let you go, though, um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about what's coming up in the second half of the year for you. We've talked about some of the really big strategic projects that are on your plate, but if we're thinking ahead to the autumn and Christmas, what are you really focused on? So, um, I mean, the, the, the good thing is we have a plan. The challenge is we've got to execute that plan, and 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 it's a it's a big old big old list. So we're very focused on looking at stores. Um, I'm hoping that we'll have three or four on the ground this side of Christmas, and so that's a, a big workload for for the team and us here. Um, we want to make sure we launch those really well in the communities that we that we serve. Um, I want us to be celebrating those seasons again. So historically, we might not have done Christmas as. Uh, as as, uh, as big and, and bold and punchy as we could have done. So expect to see uh, us um, in, in that space a lot more. We've got to bring that whole supply chain change on, online. That's coming in September. So we've got a, a big job to do there. Um, and I want to make sure that we continue for, for Planet to be a, a, a fun place to work, back to the back, back to having a bit of fun. Uh, I need to make sure we've got this, the right environment for the for the team to thrive as well. So that's 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 very big on my mind. So as we drive significant amount of change, how do we make sure um, that we're we're making this a great place to work? Fantastic, George. If people want to find out more about what you're up to um, or want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Well, um, the big, great thing about having us being a part of a small company is our email addresses are quite straightforward. My name is George, and I work at Planet Organic. 
um, and you can kind of put the email address together quite easily if you like. Fantastic. George, thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me, Julian. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and found it useful. If you did, please consider giving The Picklist a five-star rating on whichever platform you're listening and leave a review. It tells me you're enjoying the show and would like it to continue, and it helps me reach more listeners. If you'd like to connect, you can find me on LinkedIn at juliaglotz.com and on thepicklist.co.uk. And if you'd like more thought-provoking reads for your personal reading list, please subscribe to The Trim, my free weekly newsletter at juliaglotz.com forward slash newsletter. See you next time.